Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Welcome back. Here we are with Episode 9. Today, we're going to talk about all of the good and bad that comes along with taking responsibility for your own emotions. Before we really get into things, I want to be clear that this discussion is intended to apply to your average everyday relationships. It can be about interactions with friends, peers, colleagues, family, etc. It's not intended to apply to emotions that are related to abusive relationships, trauma, or systemic oppression. While the skills you will gain from coaching can be helpful in dealing with those bigger issues, they are nowhere near sufficient on their own. They're just a small part of the overall resources needed to work through such things. I just want to make it clear that I'm not suggesting that someone could undo the impact of trauma, abuse, or oppression with a little bit of coaching. Okay, so emotional responsibility or emotional adulthood, as it is also known, it's a key concept in coaching. What it means is having a clear understanding that your emotions are caused by your thoughts, period. No one can make you feel anything. Whenever anything happens or is said to you, it's purely your interpretation of those events that leads to your emotions. You take sensory input, auditory, visual, olfactory, whatever. You process it and you come up with a conclusion. Your brain then assigns meaning to that conclusion and voila, emotions. How do we know this? Because different people will interpret the same events very differently and will therefore have very different subsequent feelings about it. Sometimes a single person could interpret the same event differently depending on their mood, current circumstances, etc. So here's a very simplistic example. Person A says to person B, wow, you're really tall. If person B is a small child who has been longing to be bigger, their thought might be something like, oh my gosh, I'm tall now, and their emotion might be excited. If person B is a six foot six adult who has heard this a bazillion times but is in a relaxed mood, their thought might be, well, duh, and the emotion might be something like bemused. If person B is a six foot six adult who's heard this a bazillion times and is in a cranky mood, their thought might be, I can't believe Captain Obvious feels the need to say this out loud. The emotion might be annoyed. Same person, same event, different interpretation. If person B is someone who feels gangly and awkward about their height and desperately wishes they were shorter, but happens to be in, in an okay mood, the thought might be, ugh, I wish they hadn't brought it up and the emotion would be irritated. And if person B is someone who feels gangly and awkward about their height and has had a lousy day and is feeling really down, their thought might be, everyone knows I'm a misfit, and the emotion could be despondent. For the moment, let's assume that person A had no ill intent. Let's just focus on person B, the one on the receiving end. As we just demonstrated, that person's interpretation is what causes how they feel about it. Their feelings are entirely a result of their thinking. That's not to say it's their fault. Remember, we have about 60,000 thoughts a day, and most of them just pop up automatically and aren't things that we're thinking on purpose or with intention. But it's still a product of your brain, and it's not the sensory input itself. You could walk past a bakery that makes cinnamon rolls and get a waft of that delicious aroma. 
but it's not the aroma that makes you want one that gives you the emotion of desire. It's your thoughts about how good it would taste. If someone once had violent food poisoning after eating a cinnamon roll, the same aroma would give them the opposite emotion, repulsion. And that would be because of their thoughts about what a terrible experience it was the last time they had it. If you have emotional responsibility, it means that when you feel anger or upset about something that someone else did or said, you recognize that your anger is coming from your own interpretation. Your brain causes the anger, nothing else. Once again, this is just a reminder that we're not talking about things like abusive relationships. So if your own brain is causing the emotion, you really don't get to blame anyone else for how you feel. At first, that might sound awful. You mean I just have to fix everything myself and everyone else can just be a jerk and they don't even have any consequences? Well, sort of, but not quite like that. Yes, you are the one creating your experience, but that means you have control, and that's fantastic news. If you go on believing that other people control your emotions, it means that you can never be happy unless other people behave a certain way. And that's a terrible way to live. It puts you at the mercy of other people without them even being aware most of the time. And guess what? You don't get to control other people. And guess what else? People generally don't change their actions just because you wish they would. One time I was participating in a large group coaching event. There was another participant who was getting live coaching, and she was complaining about her boss. She gave a lot of specific examples, and by the end of her story, I was convinced that the boss was evil. I'm pretty sure everyone in the room thought the boss was evil. I can't even remember all of the examples, but these were things that really most folks would say, oh my God, that's awful. So we're all waiting to hear how the coach was going to handle this one. Everyone was all ready for some good tips on how to deal with a workplace villain. And instead, the coach said, you thinking she's a villain is a terrible thing to believe. I tell you, the room was silent. The coach went on and explained a little more, but you could tell the person being coached was not accepting this. And I wasn't either. I was just thinking, this is way off base. How could anyone not think that this person is a monster? Personally, I pretty much tuned out the rest of the conversation. Well, we went to a break, and after the break, the same person raised her hand again and said, I understand now. I honestly didn't believe it myself yet, but I was ready to listen at this point. She then explained how she understood that as long as she kept thinking that this person is such a villain, she was giving the person all of her power. She was rendering herself completely helpless. She was so invested in thinking her boss should be different, and we were all thinking the same thing, that she completely missed the fact that her boss isn't different and likely never will be. And since her current belief was that the boss's behavior was making her miserable, well, if the boss isn't likely to change, that means she's always going to be miserable unless she quits. Not to say that leaving the job might not be the right decision ultimately, but definitely not because of a villain slash helpless story. You can quit the job, but you take the story with you and it just starts cropping up again sometime and somewhere in the future. Instead, once she was able to accept that the boss does behaviors X, Y, and Z, and I get to choose how I react to those and how I feel about them, she was back in control. And from a place of control, she can look at things rationally and logically and be in a much better position to make a solid decision and like her reasons for it. She has her agency back. Okay, so back to the earlier question. If we're responsible for our own emotions and no one else can make us feel anything, again, excluding things like abuse, trauma, and oppression, 
does that mean we're all free to just be huge jerks all the time and not think about how our actions might impact other people because that's their problem? Well, I think you know I'm going to say no. But why? How does it make sense to say I'm responsible for the emotions I feel related to other people's words or actions, and I'm also responsible for any emotions other people may feel because of my words or actions? Yeah, well, that's not quite how it works. If we have emotional responsibility, when we're the person on the giving or sending side, it's not going to be congruent with our personal moral code if we conduct ourselves in a way that, in our best estimate, will cause someone else pain. No, we don't ever know for certain how someone else will interpret things. And no, we don't know what emotions they may feel. But we can make our best educated guess and use that as a guide. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. When we do get it wrong, a heartfelt apology is a good thing. Apologizing doesn't mean taking responsibility for someone else's emotions. It means caring about the person and caring that they're hurting and learning. Most people do care about these things, unless you're a sociopath. And I'm pretty sure if you're a sociopath, you're not listening to a life coach podcast. Okay, so let's look at a workplace example of demonstrating emotional responsibility on the sending or giving side. In OBGYN, one of the earliest things that you learn is that pregnancy is not always a happy event for every person in every situation. So when a patient tells you that they are or think they might be pregnant, if it's not completely obvious from their tone of voice or facial expressions, the best response is something along the lines of, how do you feel about that? Is this a happy thing or not sure? What do you think? If you can't tell by reading the room, it's best to make no assumptions. If a patient sends a MyChart message saying, I had a positive pregnancy test, and you don't have any context to know whether they wanted to be pregnant or not, the emotionally responsible response is, how do you feel about it? Not congratulations. If we recognize that most of the time we don't truly know how someone else might react to things we say, it allows us to filter out some of the automatic responses and instead learn more about the person. One more thing about emotional responsibility on the receiving end. Acknowledging that your thoughts are causing your feelings does not mean that you need to change anything, even when you know it's causing you pain. Remember in episode four, when we talked about redirecting thought deviations, how I knew that me being irate about masking wasn't accomplishing a damn thing other than causing me to suffer? Well, it took a long time before I could turn that around because I wasn't ready to give up my beliefs. But since I know that nothing can cause me to feel lousy except my own brain, well before I was ready to change my thinking, I was able to recognize that it was fully within my own power to just drop all of it anytime I wanted. If you're listening to this around the time it's originally airing, there's a war going on in Eastern Europe right now. My thoughts about the nature of the war and the instigator and his alleged reasons and all of the people who have been killed, hurt, or displaced in a matter of weeks well, anytime I think about this, I get angry. And right now, I just want to be angry. I'm completely aware that this anger isn't helping anyone who's suffering, and it isn't punishing anyone committing the acts that I think are so heinous. It's just me feeling this feeling. But that's what I want to do right now. Sometimes this is the best you can get, at least right in the moment. And it does create enough space between you and the perceived insult and that space can allow you to slow down and re-examine things. This is particularly helpful if you're struggling with a colleague, someone you really like and plan to continue working with, 
but that you believe to be causing you some emotion you don't like, like frustration, irritation, anger, whatever it might be. Getting that little space where you can recognize that what you're feeling isn't really a problem with the person, it's just created in your mind. It doesn't mean you're going to look past whatever transpired or that you have to drop the way you're thinking right now. It just helps you remember, hey, I do really like this person and I want to continue liking them and I can move on from this whenever I'm ready to, if I want to. All right, that's it for today. Thanks again for joining me. If you'd like to learn more about what emotions you're creating for yourself and why, come to whitecoatlifecoach.com and schedule your free consultation. Opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.